welcome to the first episode of season two of the Up and Smokeball podcast. We're finally into the 2022 season. Uh, camp has started. We're going to talk about fantasy today. A bunch of contract stuff happened over the last couple of days. Uh, Kyler Murray and his uh, uh, crazy clause on his contract about him having to watch film. Uh, Julio Jones was signed today as recording. Also, will come out uh, the following days. Look out uh, Wednesday. Um, we got a lot to talk about today. I have two great guests. We have Brad Spielberger of PFF talking contracts, uh, talking Jimmy G, talking Debo Samuel, uh, and the absolute mess the Carolina Panthers are in. Uh, and then I have Andrew Erickson of Fantasy Pros uh, coming on, talking about fantasy, about why he thinks Cortland Sutton is the guy this year. And also, he's fading a lot of your favorites. So definitely stick around for that. And then I have finished my top 10 quarterbacks. Um I did that roster study that we talked about earlier uh, in like an earlier podcast. Now I'm really just diving in position by position, watching more film, doing more research, so I can be as thorough as possible. Uh, and my top ten quarterbacks are now set. I can guarantee you, you will not agree with the list, but that's okay. Uh, that's not what we're here for. But anyway, let's jump straight into it with PFF cap analyst Brad Spielberger. Brad, how's it going, man? Good to see you. Yeah, doing well. Good to see you as well. How you doing? Good, man. It's been a while since uh, what the combine. It's been it's been a minute. Yeah, yeah. You were talking every player there. Oh yeah, man. We we were just listen. When when you're there, you got schmooze, right? Like, what else is the point of going to the combine? I'm not running fucking drills. Uh, That's a good point. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so let's jump right into. It. I know you're busy uh, because the season's really right around the corner. So uh, you being the smartest man at PFF. Uh, which you can tell Eric I said it, uh, smartest man at PFF. Um, you dive a lot into the contracts, and you're also one of the most well-connected people I know in the league. So I kind of want to start, well, first we got to talk about this breaking news, right? Julio Jones signed to Tampa to be the ball boy. What do you think of that? Great, great addition for the ball boy? Great addition. I mean, Russell Gage on a three-year, $30 million deal could be their fourth wide receiver. It's just, it's a crazy group of receivers at this point. And an hour before Julio, Chris Godwin, not on the pup list, should be healthy for training camp. It is, it is looking good for Tom Brady in Tampa. It's amazing. Now, how much, I know I'm joking, you know, ball boy, but like, how much does Julio really have left? He's been like 13 games in the last two seasons. His yards per route run, which is PFS, one of, one of their best stats, dropped from like around a three in his prime to now below a two. Like, is is he more of just a name at this point, kind of like what A.J. Green was last year in Arizona, or is he actually going to add some value to this Tampa Bay team? I think it's a fair question. I definitely think he is definitely kind of in that camp. Uh, even before, you know, missing games, he was a guy who was known to almost never practice, had these hamstring issues that have been bothering him for like three, four years now. But I will say at the end of the day, I think the big thing is when you go to a place with all these receivers, yes, Tennessee had A.J. Brown, but he had his own injuries as well last year. Julio, Julio Jones, without a lot of attention, I think can probably still be a productive wide receiver for you. That's fair enough. Uh, I just... It'd be interesting to see if he can actually stay healthy. You know, we haven't seen it in a while. Unfortunately, listen, he was one of the best receivers in the game when he was in, when he was in his prime. Uh, it's always sad to see those guys that were once uh, amazing kind of come back to being like like replacement level, which is which is really sad because that's kind of where he's at in, in his career. So it'd be cool to see him you know ride off with with a ring because he couldn't do it in Atlanta, which 
not his fault. He doesn't play defense. Um, but you know, it was uh, it'd be cool to see him see him leave with uh, with with a ring in his pocket or with on his finger. Um, but let's go to the to the reason why I really wanted you on in the first place, which was Kyler Murray. That deal gets announced. No real surprise. We kind of knew he was going to get locked up for big money. Um, and then the uh, independent study clause comes out, and the whole thing just gets blown wide open. Have you ever seen anything like that, where you're requiring guys uh, to not be Jamarcus Russell in a contract? I think it is the first contract that has specific language outlining exactly what you need to do. And also, when you are doing those four hours of study, specifically what you cannot do, a.k.a. watching TV or playing Fortnite or whatever the issue is that he has on in the background. No, it's funny. You mentioned, you know, I have some connections to the league. I got a text about an hour before it dropped, and he said, when you see the Kyler, Kyler contract details, you're going to laugh your ass off. And I had no idea like what it was referring to or what it could possibly mean. But, no, I've never seen anything like it. And what I've been saying is, look, I do think there is some maybe shady business from time to time when we hear about X player is not mature or X player doesn't work hard or doesn't study film, yada, yada. I think a lot of the time that is probably some propaganda and kind of teams trying to negotiate via the media. When you go out and put it in the plain language of the contract, I think it shows they clearly do have some concerns, which then begs the question of why would you give the guy $160 million guaranteed dollars if you think you have to contractually stipulate him watching film? Yeah, that's not great. But I've seen a lot of comparisons to Jamarcus Russell. Obviously, Kyler Murray much better than Jamarcus Russell was because if he's doing this without really studying, Kyler Murray was already a top ten quarterback in the league, which which is amazing if he's just showing up on Sunday and, and throwing the ball around. Um, if he does actually study, you know, he, we're talking about like a top five quarterback. But either way, Kyler Murray is driving that franchise. Right? Without Kyler Murray, the Cardinals are a bottom tier franchise, and then you know. No one's even going to those games. Like to me, uh, I know we look at the sport as in terms of how does this player impact wins. Um, for guys of Kyler's stature, they're almost above that, right? They're the entertainment value. They're the guys that are bringing in the dollars uh, on Sunday. They're bringing in, in jersey sales and, and revenue to the team. Um, so, like those kind of players deserve that kind of money, even if they're really not worth that dollar amount on the field. Uh, would you agree with that or would you disagree? Because I know like, a lot of people that are just pure football guys would tell me uh, to shut the fuck up. No, I actually totally agree. And it's funny because I say this a lot too. Like, I'm not trying to tell fans they should care and be like, oh, well, I'm happy with the contract because they're going to sell more jerseys and yada, yada, yada. But yes, that goes into their consideration, their social media, the billboards, like everything that comes with the investment that is Kyler Murray, it all matters and it all does find its way into that deal. But I, I'm with you. I'm not, I wasn't surprised by the total value of that contract. He is absolutely worth it. And like you said, that was also one takeaway is. If he does now become a you know a film guy, think about it. He played with Jalen Hurts. He played with Baker Mayfield. Those guys are probably in the league because they were such studiers and grinders and didn't have the natural abilities that Kyler Murray has. If he can even get half as much as that, he could be an elite, elite quarterback in this league. Oh, yeah. I think uh, really, there's still so much room for him to improve, which is, which is saying something. Uh, and just one more, one more tidbit on that entertainment thing. When I was just starting off in football, uh, I was talking to an executive scout for one of the teams, and uh, I was I was picking his brain about like you now like what he's looking for. He's like, listen, I, I want great players, but I also want entertainers. Like we're in the entertainment industry. Like no one fucking cares about the sport. Like the sport's great, but that doesn't bring people to the to the 
uh, to the stadium, like and and watch it on Sundays. Like you need guys who are gonna wow people. No, keep that ass in the seat. Uh, Kyler Murray is that is that kind of guy, uh, and I think Christian to somebody else who's kind of like that, Lamar Jackson. Right? There's a lot of talk about where he is in terms of uh, QB ranking. Uh, I'm gonna talk about that probably later on this podcast where where I have him ranked, but where I have him ranked or where anyone has him ranked. Uh, doesn't really matter because he's one of the top five most interesting players to watch in this game and also one of the top five uh, most explosive players in the game, uh, regardless of position. So what is that looking like right now with Lamar and, and the Ravens? Are the Ravens really holding out, thinking like, oh, maybe don't really know yet? Or are they just kind of waiting for a moment to, to give him the money? You know, I do think they believe in him. Um, I, I think it's first, it's the most unique contract negotiation maybe ever because he does not have an agent. There are other players that have not had agents in the past, including guys that have signed big-time deals, DeAndre Hopkins, Laramie Tunsil. But a lot of those guys, if not all of them, had a known financial advisor that had already done NFL contracts. And and there, I'm not sure that he could have one, but to my knowledge, he has advisors, but I'm not sure they are people that have worked on NFL contracts in the past. And we're talking about a nine-figure deal, right? So I think I think that's a crazy part of it. But yeah, I'm with you. Not, you know, just the entertainment value is off the charts. We've probably seen more Lamar Jackson highlights than any other player in the NFL since he joined the league in 2018. And yeah, that doesn't always win you games, but he's also won a lot of games. Right. I think now the floor is set. I mean, Kyler Murray's deal is an absolute floor. If they thought they were going to try to not top Deshaun Watson, there's no chance. I think it's going to be a 47-48 million dollars per year. My guess there is the length is a bigger issue. I think Lamar Jackson does not want to sign these longer deals we've seen. You know, Josh Allen, six years. Mahomes, 10 years. I think he wants to go shorter, get back on the market, and get paid again because, as we all know, that market continues to rise and rise and rise. If I had to guess, that's the issue. That's, that's smart because uh, when I was talking with, uh, with Solomon Wilcox, former PFF guy as well, um, and we were just saying, like, you know, this Kyler deal, yeah, it's it's a lot right now. In three years, it'll be seen as like team friendly, you know, because these the, the caps is going up. Unless we hit another pandemic, which that can only happen once in a lifetime, you would you would think, right? Uh, it's just going to continue to go up and go by a lot, especially with these new deals that are, that are being struck by the NFL. Um, so I, I'm I'm with you there. Now, that's really that's interesting to see because you see Mahomes and he's like, yeah, I'm ten years. I'm locked into Kansas City. I don't want to go anywhere else. Uh, someone who's maybe a bit more business savvy as you know, like Lamar Jackson, like, you no, know, so I'm, I'm getting all the money I can because when this is over, this is over and I want that money. And I, I listen, I, I, I appreciate that. That's smart thinking. Uh, someone else who wants to get paid should get paid and is explosive. Debo Samuel. Now it's been kind of discussed that Debo Samuel's contract is going to come once Jimmy G's off the books. Jimmy G has now been uh, given the okay look for trades. Have you heard anything about where this guy's going to go? Robert Turbin on Sears XM yesterday said he would like to see him go to the Giants, which as a Giant fan, please no. Please no. I don't want to spend draft capital for a quarterback when the New York Giants are already terrible. Uh, where where could Jimmy go? Because it seems like all the teams are okay with their, with their spot going into August. Might change going into September, but right now it seems that they're okay. Yeah, and that's the funny thing is that realistically, in my opinion, the only team that like needs a starting quarterback is the Seattle Seahawks. But do they want to trade him within the NFC West? Probably not. And then I would also say, look, if Deshaun Watson gets maybe 10, 12 games, 
maybe you say, look, you know, Jacoby Brissett, if we had to start him for four to six games or, you know, six to eight games, maybe we stomach that, we get through it, we try to go 500 on a good roster and then let Deshaun Watson return and see what he can do. But if it's 12, 14, 16 games, you're saying, are we going to flush an entire season essentially down the toilet and just let Jacoby Brissett kind of play for nothing? Then maybe you make that transition. But regardless of any team, they're not taking his contract. And so I think the issue is other teams now realize San Francisco has to cut this guy at some point. So why not just wait him out and just let them cut him whenever they feel like cutting him? I guess the counter would be you want the guy to get some reps and, and, and you know maybe get some chemistry with your guys. But it's it's not a good situation for San Francisco, especially because they got to pay Debo Samuel and maybe even pay Nick Bosa as well. Jeez. Yeah, it's not not great for, for Sam Fran right now. And you know, we'll see what uh, what happened with Trey Lance. I know Mike McGlinchey was was raving about him, but we didn't. It wasn't great uh, when we did see him uh, last year, and you know he, he barely played uh, for the last two years. You know, I think he threw for what like twenty passes a game in twenty nineteen, and that was about it because of COVID with with North Dakota State. Uh, so I do want to finish on this, um, and, and kind of a downer, unfortunately. The Carolina Panthers. I was looking at this when I was doing my roster study. They might be in the worst spot of any franchise in the NFL. Not only is their roster bad, and it is really fucking bad. Um, they're bad, but also spending a ton of money where it looks like next year they're going to be up against it already. What kind of situation is a potential new GM, new coach looking at going into Carolina in 2023? It's awful. But basically what happened was after the Super Bowl run in 2015, you know, the next couple of years, you had Keekly, you had Cam Newton before he kind of fell off. And you thought you had enough pieces there to try to keep, you know, contending and adding a couple, you know, you thought you were a couple pieces away. So they started then, 2017, 20, 2018, prorating a bunch of contracts, pushing them on a bunch of money down the line. Then, of course, Cam falls off. Luke Keekly retires, you know, out of nowhere. But even, you know, the last couple off seasons, you're restructuring Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey multiple times. Shaq Thompson, like even some solid players, but you're just pushing every major contract on your team. You are pushing cap down the line and then you're giving up third round picks for CJ Henderson and, you know, fifth round picks for Stephon Gilmore and stuff. And again, it's like, is that, is that player going to change your entire roster? Maybe not, probably not, but you're just, you're giving away the right to get a potential surplus value, cheap asset that you have to go out and sign in free agency instead. So yeah, their financial situation is terrible. It is. And, and like you said, to be that bad of a spot, if you're if you're the Packers or the Buccaneers, like you don't or the Rams, you don't care. But if you're that bad of a financial spot and you do not have talent, yeah, the next GM, well, maybe the GM stays. The new coach, who I'm guessing will be there in 2023, he's gonna have a lot to work with when he first gets or nothing to work with when he first gets there. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Giants, but Joe Shane walking into uh, the mess that Dave Gelman had, which uh, I know a lot of people will point to the Falcons and to the Saints, like oh they were in, in bad spots as well, but at least they were. Uh, like this, we had shot, like a shot for for a window, and they kept pushing it. And listen, when you when you have the window, you got to go for it, right? Carolina didn't have a window. You know, they haven't had a window in almost seven years. Like this is this is impressive how how bad this uh, this financial spot is for for Carolina. So we're gonna we're gonna see some crazy stuff, man. Brad, I appreciate the time. I know between now and the beginning of the season, you're gonna be crazy busy with guys being traded, guys getting signed. Uh, guys retiring. We already saw Denzel Good retire, uh, which yeah, that that O line in Las Vegas is already bad. That's it's gonna be that's gonna be really rough, man. I don't I don't know uh, what they're gonna do out there. Can you play? Can you play guard? Can you play tackle? Because they might need you. 
I got the I well, I got to put on some pounds, but I got the height, I guess. Yeah, you're like six foot nine. You could do it. You have, you have the length. <laughs> but Bradman, I appreciate it. anything to watch out for um, from your end on PFF. Yeah, no, you mentioned. It. I mean, we're gonna be covering everything. So you know, any training camp buzz and all that good stuff coming out, fantasy, you know, ga- season long gambling, everything will be covered at PFF. Thanks, we appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to uh, PFS Brad Spielberg for coming on, talking contracts with us. Uh, follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow, especially during this time of the year uh, when there's going to be a lot of contract talk happening, a lot of retirements happening, a lot of trades happening. Uh, Brad is my go-to guy for anything's contracts in the NFL. Super smart dude. Let's uh, switch gears here and talk about quarterbacks. Over the past few months, uh, as you know, if you listen to the podcast, I've been looking at rosters um, and seeing how they're constructed. Over the past month or so, eh, maybe less than a month, maybe a few weeks, uh, I've been looking at quarterbacks in particular. Now, I did some preliminary stuff for the roster uh, study, but now I'm diving deeper into film, diving deeper into the analytics. And I've come up with my top 10 quarterbacks. Uh, I'm sure everyone will agree with all of them, and I won't get a single shred of hate at all. He said sarcastically. All right, so before we jump into the top 10, I want to talk about the guys who just missed out. Uh, The first guy that just missed out, Matt Ryan. Uh, Matt Ryan, very good quarterback, uh, obviously former MVP. Matt Ryan, to me, looks older. I watched his film uh, you know, a few years ago in, in, from Atlanta. I watched his film last year, and it just seems like age is catching up with Matt Ryan. Uh, his arm strength isn't as good as it used to be. He has to really stride into those throws now uh, to hit the deep ball, to hit the, the, the sideline, um, hit the deep sideline. Uh, and his feet just don't look as active as they, as they once were. Uh, Matt Ryan's still a great quarterback um, and just outside the top 10 for me. Uh, but he just misses out. Uh, if this was a few years ago, he'd absolutely be there. But I think age is just, is just starting to catch up uh, with Matt Ryan. The the next one, which I'm sure people will get uh, upset with, and, and I understand because the man just won a Super Bowl, uh, is Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is as good as advertised in terms of a pocket of a pocket passer, right? Uh, he's got great mechanics. Uh, he throws the ball very well past the sticks. Uh, he just looks like that prototypical, uh, you know, late aughts quarterback prospect, right? He just he looks great. The issue with Matt last year, and now I think there might be some because of injury. Or maybe he's a shell shocked from his time in Detroit. Um, his poise and his ability versus pressure was not good, uh, severely lacking. Uh, now, does this make Matt not a great quarterback? Absolutely not. This is like this puts Matt like just outside of the top ten. Uh, but that's what dropped him out for me. You know, just the inability to to handle pressure last year. Um, the uh, poise in the pocket, his eyes dropped when it came to pressure. It seemed like he was nervous, and if maybe again, maybe it's shell shock. 
maybe it's um yeah, maybe it was an injury of some sort. Uh you know, I, I but that was the reason. That was the reason why Matt Stafford wasn't in uh my top ten. The uh next one, which I'm this this one is the one I'm sure I'll get the uh the most hate for, and it's Lamar Jackson. Uh Lamar Jackson, former MVP. Electric player. Electric player. Um, super rare athletic ability, as you know. Um, however, he has not been the same quarterback since his MVP season. If we're talking about MVP Lamar Jackson, we're talking about probably top five. But he has regressed a bit as a passer since that season. Now, is it you know injuries or, or some of that? Possibly, um, but nonetheless, it has happened. His decision making is not as good. His pocket awareness is not great, um, and then you know his size is not great. You know, he's he's, a, he's a, not a big dude. You know, he's six two two fifteen. So that's not uh, super big, uh, especially with all the hits he's taking. Um, so f- for that reason, and really, this was the reason alone. When it comes to creating the top 10, right, it's only a few things here that drops you out, right? He's still in the conversation, in the mix. Uh, and if he does uh, raise his his passing performance back to what he was in 2019, then this is then this is a, a moot point and he's going to be top 10. Like his turnover-worthy play percentage uh, was like under 2% that year. Uh, and since then, the last two seasons have been over three. It's just not the same quarterback. Uh, that that we've seen uh, in his MVP season, so for that reason, uh, I, I'm I'm taking him out. And the last one, who I actually have rated higher than Lamar Jackson, um, is Derek Carr. Derek Carr is a phenomenal pocket passer. You know, great anticipation and accuracy. Uh, he's very good in the intermediate level of the field. Just he's not the best decision maker and he's not great against pressure and those things alone keep him outside the top 10 list. So Stafford, Ryan, Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr, just miss out, just miss out. Uh, now Derek Carr and Lamar Jackson still young, right? We're young ish. Derek Carr is going to be 31 or he is 31. Um, but there are some aging veterans on this top 10 list that, I would not be surprised if come next year, Lamar and Derek Carr are in the top 10 while these other guys may fall out. Um, number 10 is the new quarterback of the Denver Broncos, Russell Wilson. Uh, we know what he can do on the move, right? And his, the touch he has, the athletic ability he has, and we know his, his deficiencies with, with his size. Um, however, his his pocket awareness uh has been pretty poor uh in in Seattle. Uh and I, I do wonder how that's gonna translate um in Denver because it's not like Denver's O line is is that much better than Seattle's. Um but he's only been about average, especially last year against pressure. So when you have that limited pocket uh pocket awareness and then you're only 
okay against pressure, it can lead to some bad plays. So, and, and I do think age is starting to catch up with Russell Wilson, you know, 33 years old. Like, I, and a lot of his talent is built on his athletic ability and ability to throw on the run. Once that goes away, or once that starts to diminish, the, the things that made him special, you know, start to fade. Uh, not saying he'll be a bad quarterback. He'd still be in an upper tier. Just I don't know if he'll be top 10. I think Denver has a shorter window with Russell Wilson than I than I think they expect. Uh, I think it's only a couple of years uh, before Russell Wilson he drops outside uh, the top 10. The next guy, number nine, is... Mr. Moneybags himself, uh, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is has the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, right? With his decision-making, his deep passing ability, how athletic he is. He's a crazy runner. Um, but we know where he lacks. He had to have something in his contract about studying. Um, he's not putting in the time. His poise is only average, and his size, like he's, he's a tiny dude, man. They're probably like 5'10, 200 pounds. Like, he's not a big guy. Um, and we've seen his deficiencies uh against better teams or, or in the playoffs. But even with that, Kyler Murray is still a top 10 quarterback, and his ceiling is so much higher. If he develops some better study habits, if he is a little more poised in the pocket. Talk about a guy that be top five in a few years. And he's only 25 years old. So there's a lot, there's a high ceiling there. Number eight. Uh, I'm going to stop saying I'm going to get hate for this because I'm going to get hate for all of these. Uh, but number eight is Justin Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert, uh, again, we know about Justin Herbert. This is how. It's just the same things he was good at coming out of college. The same thing he's got now. You know how big he is, his arm strength, his deep passing ability. Uh, however, he reminds me of Josh Allen in his first couple of years in Buffalo. His mechanics still aren't really there. He doesn't throw a great touch yet, uh, and his pocket awareness and poise is like still has to be developed. Um, what scares me about Justin Herbert, and not scare me in terms of like, oh, I think he'll be bad. Scares me in terms of like, how good could this kid be? He's 24 years old, and I think he's already like that gold tier, that like consistent Pro Bowl tier. Uh, and there's still so much for him to get better at. Where this kid could be a number two or three quarterback year in year out if he continues to develop. Like there, that's his ceiling. He's he could be one of the best quarterbacks in a game if he continues developing. Uh, it's it's outstanding. He's he's an amazing prospect to watch, um, and. Uh, what also again scary, like I said, reminds me of an early Josh Allen, but he already has better results than an early Josh Allen. Uh, so I am so interested with this where this goes for for him. Um, number number seven uh, is Josh Allen. Now I know this would be lower than some uh, because Josh Allen has been ranked like you know top five. Uh, in some occasions, and I totally get it, right? He is, uh, he's a great dude, uh, by all accounts, uh, great deep ball passer, amazing arm strength. He's a hell of a talent, uh, great athlete. Um, 
but his lower mechanics still aren't great yet. Uh, his decision making is still uh, average. Yeah, you know, I would say he's still pretty average, and his ball placement is still like you know up, you could say above average, but still not good yet. Still not where it needs to be. Um, and like Justin Herbert, Josh, Josh Allen only twenty six years old. And if if he continues to improve, I mean, he's improved a lot, man. Like watching his tape from Wyoming to watching his tape now is incredible. Like his his timing is so much better. His release is so much quicker, and the way he's able to move his arm in different angles is so much better. Uh, he's more accurate with the ball uh, now than he was coming out of college. Josh Allen has already shown that he can progress and he's coachable josh allen again just like herbert could be a top five top three top two quarterback if he continues to progress and there's nothing to say that he won't watching his film Uh, he's a a phenomenal player number six dak prescott of the dallas cowboys I put out a tweet asking if Dak Prescott was top 10, and it got, honestly, it blew up. Uh, it was pretty pretty incredible. Um, he's top 10 in a lot of different categories, and at this point, it's hard to say he's not a top 10 player, right? His decision-making is outstanding. He His ability past the sticks is very, very good, and he throws with great anticipation and timing. Like, he's everything you want from a passer. Uh, And he's also has good athletic ability. Um, And he's good. He has outstanding pocket presence and poise. And he can evade pressure like a motherfucker. Uh, And he's he's got pretty good running ability. Like, like not just buying time, but like actually can run with the ball. Um, He's a solid player. Like, you know, his ability... Throwing with touch is can probably be improved a bit, uh, and you know, he's, he's not the most agile quarterback, but he's still average at that. Um, he's an amazing quarterback. However, with Dak, unlike Justin Herbert and with Josh Allen and Kyler Murray, this is the best I think Dak gets. Now, can Dak move up the list? Sure, because as you've kind of already assumed. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers are on this list. They're older. If they retire, Dak would just move up the list, right? Um, but that doesn't mean he's getting any better. Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, uh, Josh Allen all have real room to improve. Dak, I think, is at his ceiling. Uh, and at his ceiling is at, at gold tier, you know, that consistent Pro Bowl tier. Um, which again, which is why I don't see what I don't understand why people are counting out the Cowboys. Now I know you people don't really love Coach McCarthy, uh, and that Eagles uh, defensive line is stacked, uh, and they did add AJ Brown this year. But Dak Prescott is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts, and a better quarterback by a significant margin, uh, in my opinion. Entering the blue tier, right? The All Pro tier. Uh, the first one, number five is Deshaun Watson. I think it's easy to forget because of all the things that Deshaun Watson's been wrapped up in the last year. 
how good he was in 2020. We're talking about a guy who may have been the best quarterback in the NFL prior to all of these uh, legal issues. If he returns to that level, then five would be too low. He has the accuracy and decision-making of a Brady, a Burrow, a Rodgers, and he has the athletic ability of a Murray and a Lamar Jackson. He has a very interesting combination of skills that honestly puts him in a class kind of by himself. Now, his weaknesses, he's not the biggest dude. Now, I know he's 6'2", 6'2 but when he throws short, you still see him kind of have to go on his tippy toes to throw over the line of scrimmage. Um, and his pocket awareness could be better. It's about average, right? About average. Um, but even with that, if he can return to his previous level of play, which I don't see why he couldn't. It may not be immediate. I don't see why he couldn't. We're talking about one of the best players in the league, not just one of the best quarterbacks. Number four is Tom Brady. Tom Brady uh, is defies reality and time, right? Uh, the fact that he's still this good at 45 years old uh, is incredible. Uh, and really the only thing going against him at this point is his athletic ability and his age. You know, he's not as fast as he once was, and even then he wasn't that fast, but he can't avoid rushers the way he used to, uh, even just moving in the pocket. Uh, he can't do it as well as 38-year-old Tom Brady, as 39-year-old Tom Brady. Um, but he still has the accuracy. He still has uh, the decision-making. He still has the pocket presence and the anticipation and the release skills. He still has all of that, um, which is why he's the fourth-best quarterback uh, in the NFL. Also, uh, the quarterback position has changed while Tom Brady's even played quarterback, right? Back in the day, athletic ability wasn't that big of a deal. Now it's a huge deal. Um, so he's been around long enough to see the position change. Uh, and even with that, he's still a top five quarterback, um, four on this list. And, you know, kind of like Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan, time is catching up to Tom Brady. It's just not at the same pace as everybody else. Like he is you know, going down fractions of a point a year while some of these guys are dropping tears. Uh, it's just, it's incredible. Number three, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is everything I hoped he'd be coming out of college. Uh, his accuracy, decision-making, uh, throwing past the sticks, he's just like that perfect pocket passer, uh, almost kind of like a new-age Tom Brady to a degree because he has more speed than Tom. Uh, he can buy a little more time uh, than, than Brady. He can throw the move a little better than Brady. Uh, but his, in terms of athletic ability, not as good as some of his peers, like Patrick Mahomes, like Sean Watson, like Allen or Herbert or Murray, um, but still more than enough to be to be very good. Um, and the other thing is pocket awareness. Now, uh, I know he spoke about on the podcast about how like he's only the, the sacks he's taking aren't really that bad because they're in situations where it wouldn't matter, but. It shows up in film as well, where he just 
sometimes this team doesn't seem to feel the rush. Um, and not only could it lead to injuries, uh, it's, it's a skill you need to have at, at a certain point. Now, and it's also the only skill I can see him improving. Like that's that's really it, right? Like, because um, he's not going to get, he's not going to be more of an athlete, right? It's just really that pocket awareness. Um, he's got more than enough poise, but just the ability of, you know, like, hey, you know, when it's time to throw the ball away or, you know, when to evade the rush because he can evade rushes very well. Um, sometimes he just chooses to stay in the pocket. Um, that's like that's the only thing I could see with Joe Burrow where he where he can be a, a little bit better is just the pocket awareness. But even with that number three quarterback in the league at the moment, uh, and then it comes down to the last two guys, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and the way I put it, and I'm, this was the debate I was having because they're graded very very closely, like by like fractions. Uh, uh, of, a, of a point here. Um, Patrick Mahomes uh, is great outside of po- outside the pocket. We already knew he was great outside the pocket. Uh, he's really throwing the move, his arm strength, even his accuracy. You now that Tyreek Hill's getting uh, is talking about Tua Tagovailoa and his accuracy, Patrick Mahomes is actually pretty damn good. Uh, he's some of the best in the league. However, Mahomes doesn't throw with a ton of touch. Um, and he's not graded out as well in recent seasons. Aaron Rodgers' decision making, accuracy, inter- uh, intermediate passing, off the charts. Uh, and his thing is more like a, his pocket presence um, and pocket awareness isn't as good. Uh, just above average, kind of like you know we were seeing with, with Joey Burrow. Uh, but at the end of the day. Aaron Rodgers is producing at a higher level. He was just the MVP. And that's why I'm giving it to Aaron Rodgers. But Aaron Rodgers is 30 years old. Patrick Mahomes is 26 years old. Next year, I fully expect that to swap. Uh, I think next year Patrick Mahomes will be the number one quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Unless, of course, Deshaun Watson takes it from him. Which, again, also very possible. Um, But just looking at that list, you have a lot of guys on here that are aging, right? Rodgers, Brady, um, and Russell Wilson. We could see a, a massive movement. If Brady does retire next year, he kind of retired this year and then decided not to. Uh, if he does retire, we're talking about Dak Prescott may moving up into the top five. Josh Allen, talk about moving to the top five. Justin Herbert, if he improves. Kyle Murray. Maybe, you know, does, does that information about his contract getting out uh, cause him to you know, light a fire under his ass and, and actually start putting in the work uh, to be that tie five quarterback because we've seen that even even without doing the work he's still a top ten quarterback um, and as I think it was was it Bucky it, it was it was one of the guys uh, one of the one of the analysts on on Twitter I, I wish I remembered uh, but he was saying like you know Kyler Murray's been as successful as he's been so far doing what he's done I don't it's gonna be hard for him to change it now or even like think he has to change it. Um, if he does change it, we're talking about a top five quarterback. So in the end, that is my top 10, uh, Rogers, Mahomes, Burrow, Brady, Watson, Prescott, Allen, Herbert, Murray, and Russell Wilson, uh, with Derek Carr, Lamar Jackson, Matthew Stafford, and Matt Ryan, just looking, 
uh, on the outside, just on the outside looking in. It was a ton of fun watching this. I, I'm still continuing to go through the the lower quarterbacks. Um, I will say, Daniel Jones, Jalen Hurts. Daniel Jones didn't go up in, in ranking, but like a little, a little better than I, I thought. You know, I'm a Giant fan, so I've watched him a lot. But this was like really, really digging into the tape here. Um, I don't know, Giants fans should be writing him off yet. And Jalen Hurts, man, uh, he's he's a true he's a true quarterback, man. He's a true dude. I I, I don't I don't see why Eagles fans want to move off of him right now. He's he's pretty damn good. Uh, but anyway, let's. Uh, it, it is now. July, it's late July, almost August. Uh let's um let's start talking some fantasy, man. So I got some fantasy drafts coming up. I need to know who the fuck I'm gonna draft. Uh so let's bring on uh Andrew Erickson, a content creator at Fantasy Pros. Good dude, friend of mine. Uh let's uh let's talk some fantasy. Andrew, how's it going, man? I'm doing good, man. Happy to be on here. Dude, thanks for joining me. It's, it's been a while. It's been a while since we've actually talked, so uh, I appreciate you hopping on. I know it's, it's busy for you right now. Fan season's really starting to kick off. My drafts are right around the uh, around the corner. I'm not saying I'm using my position in the media to get an unfair leg up on my friends in fantasy, but I'm also not saying I, I wouldn't do that by by having you on. So I appreciate you take, the time. You got to take advantage where you can, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Because listen, uh, I'm decent in fantasy, but I would say there's a huge difference. I think it's harder to do what you guys do than to do what I came up doing, which is which is player evaluation. Because it's I would say it's easier to tell if a guy's been good or bad than how a dude is going to produce each season. That is a very, very hard skill to to master. So uh, just, just bow, bow to you. Because that's I've tried it before and I've and it's not that's not an easy job. So yeah, it's definitely one of those things where I you have to you're really there's a fine line between, you know, a fantasy analyst versus an NFL analyst and, you know, doing player evaluations because there is some crossover, but at the end of the day, you know, to score fantasy points, like you have to put up numbers in some right. way, shape or form. So that's why we talk about, you know, volume is king. We have these like cliches where we can have these really bad players be good in fantasy because they just touch the ball a lot. And that's just how the game is scored in points. Now, it not, wasn't always like that. Like, used to be, like, fantasy leagues were just about touchdowns. It's like, right. you always scored points if you scored touchdowns. And those ones where it's like, you have to be on a good offense. You have to be actually good to score a touchdown. So, um, hey, you know, give credit to you, too. You're still doing the Lord's work. So, I appreciate it. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. So, uh, speaking of, of production, news broke today. Well, recording's on Tuesday, so it's coming out Wednesday. But news broke on Tuesday, Julio Jones going to Tampa. Uh, Julio Jones has been iffy the last two seasons. I think he's missed like 13 games with a hamstring injury. Uh, and it, well, one of my favorite stats um, uh, that PFF uses, uh, our former employer, uh, uh, yards per route run. In his prime, Julio was like at three yards, right? Now he's under two. Uh, what are you expecting from Julio in Tampa? Is it is it more of just he's a big name and maybe won't put up the kind of production that he might get drafted for? Uh, or do you think there's still some left in the tank? So there's a couple different ways to spin that question. So number one, Julio Jones, yes, definitely a big name. And it's definitely going to cause probably some overcorrections and overreactions to not just his 
draft position, but to the other Buccaneers players in the offense. So initially, it's just going to make people less likely to draft Mike Evans, less likely to draft Russell Gage, and less likely to draft Chris Godwin because they're going to see Julio and be like, oh, it's Julio. Like, you know, they remember him from his Atlanta Falcons days where he was nasty and averaging three, three yards per route run or whatever, bitch being this alpha wide receiver. Now, the injuries the last two seasons have obviously derailed him significantly. So I don't necessarily think that he's going to be someone that, oh my God, like people are going crazy to draft Julio Jones because he definitely burned a lot of people. I mean, he was a fourth round pick, I think last year. I know I you know drafted him a bunch of different places and I was like, oh, this is great. Like Julio Jones, different offense. And he was horrible last year um, from a fantasy perspective. Now I do want to point out that when he was healthy last year, his yards per route one was actually still pretty good. It was above really? two. It was at 2.18 in his six games last year that he was healthy, which would have been top 10. So, wow. no, he wasn't Julio Jones, like the god that we've known from in his 20s. Like, he's 33 years old. So, there's going to be some natural fall off to his production. But in the games where he, like, didn't leave with an injury, you know, he was efficient with the ball in his hands. Didn't lead him at many fantasy points because he played in a super heavy run offense. So the targets, opportunities necessarily weren't there. And he was also playing alongside A.J. Brown. You know, Ryan Tannehill was his quarterback. So there, the, the production from those games basically gave him a wide receiver three. But that was kind of his production. So that's, I think, the best way to view Julio Jones in a vacuum in this Bucks offense. Whether he is the number three receiver, whether he's operating as the two or the four. You know, in some ilk, you know, it's Mike Evans as the number one. And then you have question marks about roles with these other Buccaneers receivers. Chris Godwin, also in the news, you know, he's not on the pup list. So, right. you know, now that's a lot different than what we've been kind of anticipating with Godwin, where the team says they're hopeful he'll be ready, but it doesn't make really line up with the time of his injury, which was late last season, that he's going to be ready to go for week one. So, and then adding Julio, that seems more like another insurance addition, or it just means that they think that Tyler Johnson, Cyril Grayson, like Brashad Perryman, like all these guys are just trash. And like, they don't like want Scotty Miller, like all these other Tampa Bay Buccaneers, these oh, ancillary don't, players. Don't, don't kill Scotty. <laughs> I mean, he was hurt last year too. So yeah, he's, he's had his moments in the sun for sure. But I, I was reading a, I think from the athletic that, you know, he wasn't even a lock to make the team. So bringing in a guy like Julio, I mean, he's definitely going to now shove someone else out of the, the Buccaneers of these other wide receivers. So it seems like they have a pretty clear top four guys and behind Evans, it's really like a bunch of guys vying for number three status. And I think the ambiguity is going to be good for guys like Gage where yes, it obviously hurts his upside, but you know, if, if Godwin has altercations with his injury, like let's say he comes back and gets re-injured or he comes back too quickly or, or whatever, there's a lot of scenarios where that happens. Same thing with Julio. Like I mentioned, when Julio is healthy, he is efficient, but he's not going to play all 17 games. And even in his time in Atlanta, even his time last year with the Titans, like he's so, he doesn't practice. It's like show up on game day and play. Like, and, and, and you know, Tom Brady is totally going to be fine with that. He's like, I don't care. Like, as long as he's ready to go on game day, we're good to go. So we'll see if that gels with Julio and Tom Brady. You know, if Brady's like, I really want to build this connection. So I'm willing to buy the dip on a guy like Russell Gage, even on like a Mike Evans, if he falls a little bit, because Mike Evans, we like him because of the touchdowns and the offense. Julio Jones, what's the one thing he's not really been able to do that much is really score score a lot of touchdowns. touchdowns. So I don't really think that hurts Evans necessarily. Um, 
Gage obviously gets hurt the most, so I do. I, I did move him down to my rankings, but I think that he's a guy that you now want to buy the discount on as he starts to fall. People kind of write him off. I mean, he's got, he got paid a lot of money to right. to be on the Bucks, and he can play inside and outside. So if Julio doesn't deliver, if he's still, if he you know becomes the next AJ Green in, in the bad way, okay, then you're going to see Russell Gage kind of emerge after he had a really good year last year. And then I mentioned with Chris Godwin. I mean, if Chris Godwin's healthy and 100%, like he's going to be a wide receiver one in fantasy. And that leaves Julio and Russell Gage kind of fighting for scraps. But the other thing is looking at this offense, they just throw so much that it can really support multiple assets, especially when you take Rob Gronkowski out of the equation. I think it makes all the tight ends basically irrelevant. I, I would not necessarily look at Cameron Bright. They had Kyle Rudolph. Would not look at any of those guys. Because you look at what they did last year, speaking to the Buccaneers offense, 71% of the games that play between Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, 71%, they finish as top 36 wide receivers on a weekly basis. So it's one of these rare occasions that this offense is so pass heavy that it can really support multiple mouths. There's really, it's not the scenario of too many mouths to feed. It's like, no, Brady can, Brady is the king that can actually feed all of these guys. So um, that's kind of my initial takeaways from it. Um, it definitely was a surprising move. I knew Julio had been connected to you know, teams like the Green Bay Packers, but I think he's like, hey, do I want to play up in freezing Green Bay or do I want to play in warm Tampa Bay? And I think he right. probably made the right choice. <laughs> right. He can go play in Tampa where they they have won a Super Bowl before. And also he can get to be the number one guy, right? He's in, if he goes to Green Bay, he's going to get all the attention. In yep. Tampa, he can just be a guy and, and yep. do well. Now, I, I actually love this for Russell Gage. I think this is going to make him uh, I actually thought where he was going in fantasy a little too high for where he was end up end up going or end up producing. Um, now I think it's like he actually might be undervalued. So I, I'm, I'm oh, yeah. excited to see what does for him. Um, moving over to uh, to Denver real quick, Cortland Sutton. I'm seeing a lot of mix on Cortland Sutton. I'm seeing people loving him. You now potential wide receiver one. Uh, I'm seeing people saying that Cortland Sutton if he's a wide receiver three would be about right. Where are you sitting on Cortland Sutton right now? Yeah. So the, this is my weakness because I mean, if you go to my Twitter account, you're going to find a lot of Cortland Sutton propaganda in the positive way. So I'm, I am definitely one of the higher ones on Cortland Sutton. I think he can be a wide receiver one. I have him ranked number 10 overall. Wow. I, I really think that he is just set up so well to be a red zone monster this year. And, and really, that's going to be the driver behind his production is touchdowns. You know, he is the archetype of a red zone threat. He's been a red zone monster and gobbler throughout his NFL career. In 2019, he had a really high target rate inside the 10 yard line. 2021 last year, he led the team in red zone targets. And when you look at Russell Wilson and why he's been so good for guys like Lockett and DK Metcalf. And part of the reason why they've been so like volatile is because a lot of their production has stemmed from touchdowns. You know, he's top five in terms of a, a Seattle wide receiver has been top five in end zone targets over the last three seasons and red zone targets. So Denver has never been in that scenario with all the quarterbacks that they've had over the past, right. basically since Peyton Manning, you know, walked off into the sunset, basically since they haven't really had a quarterback. And that's kind of why I've dubbed Cortland Sutton this year's Cooper Cup, not because he's going to do what Cup did last year in terms of being the fantasy wide receiver one and breaking all these records. But, you know, part of Cup's profile last year and why his production was so good, he led the NFL in red zone targets. And I think that's 
in Cortland Sutton's range of outcomes, especially when people are, you know, the people that are not in the Sutton camp are usually people that like Judy, like they like Jerry Judy and they think Jerry Judy's going to take a step forward. And I think Jerry Judy can still have his best year. It, it would right. make sense because his quarterbacks have been also horrible. And I recognize that he's a talented guy. He's a really great route runner, but he's never been a red zone guy. Never. Like he, he he's never really been a red zone guy. So when Russell Wilson go, I, I just, I don't envision a scenario where Wilson went to Denver and he's going to hand the ball off to the running back to score touchdowns. Like, he wants to put up numbers like he wants right. to prove to everyone that Seattle made a mistake getting rid of me. I'm a Hall of Fame quarterback. I deserve to be recognized as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, if not NFL history. And how is he going to get that done? By throwing touchdowns. And when I look at this Broncos roster, the guy that sticks out to me the most that is going to benefit from that and just benefit from good quarterback play in general is Cortland Sutton. Listen, I agree. And I, I think uh, that's the right way to look at it because uh, looking at that receiving core, uh, Cortland Sun is really the only one where I'm like, okay, that he's definitely going to be productive. Judy, KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, I feel like it's going to be, it, it will be one of those guys, right? But I'm not really sure which one of those guys is going to stand out next year uh, with, with Russell. It, it could be KJ Hamler, that, that there's been a lot of love for him. Um, you know, it could be Judy, but Judy's been kind of, I know the correct play hasn't been great, but still has been pretty, uh, unremarkable and people in Denver love Tim Patrick. They love Tim Patrick. I don't know why they love Tim Patrick, but they love Tim Patrick. They treat him like he's an all pro player, but Cortland Sun's the only one from that group where I'm like, yeah, that guy is going to be good. And if the Denver offense is as good as we all think it's going to be, then he's going to be, you know, very good. Um, on the flip side, Tyree kill. I've seen again, arguments for both where people have said that the, uh, my, what Tyree's gonna do in Miami is actually not that different what he's doing in Kansas City. I've had people buying very low on Tyreek because they're buying low on Tua. Uh, where are you sitting on this, on the Tyreek Hill debate? Definitely on the fading Tyreek Hill because of the quarterback downgrade. And it's the same kind of the opposite reason why I like Sutton. It's just like, who got better? Who has a better quarterback now than they had last year? Like, that's who I want. I don't want a guy that now has to overcome a tougher situation. There are last year, I made this argument a lot where, you know, this player will be fine with X quarterback. This player will be fine in X offense and you're settling like shoot for the moon with your draft picks. People like that's what you want to do. You're like, I don't want my guys to be fine. I want them to thrive and go to the moon with the situation, with the quarterback, with wherever they landed. Like, and the fact that Tyreek Hill cannot stop talking about how two is so accurate. Oh, how two is so good. It's like, dude, if he was so good, why do you keep telling us? We should just be able to turn on the TV and see it. But we can't. Jameis Winston threw more touchdowns than, than Tua did last year. Jameis Winston wow. missed half the season. Like, I'm just, like, I get that Tyreek Hill's being a good teammate. And I understand that. Because he's, you know, coming to the side of a quarterback that's obviously been under a lot of scrutiny. Not all, not completely deserved. I think that he's been over-scrutinized because I don't think the Dolphins really set him up for success. You know, playing him when he was like not 100%, you know, going to Ryan Fitzpatrick in year one, and then, you know, basically being super vocal about like trying to get other quarterbacks in there when he was the quarterback, and they just basically were like, don't talk. Like, don't say anything. And he handled it very professionally. But, like, you're going from the best quarterback in the NFL to, you know, a guy that I have ranked outside my top 20 in terms of fantasy and really has never been a quarterback that's been able to support a fantasy wide receiver one. And I want to actually ask you this question, Stopsky, is what's the bigger 
tier or you know talent drop off in your opinion. So going from Patrick Mahomes to Tua Tungle Viola, or going from Tua Tungle Viola to Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, Mahomes to to Tua is, is a massive drop. Exactly. Tua yeah, to yeah, Teddy is almost comparable. Exactly. Exactly. So you know. Okay, so like if Teddy Bridgewater was a quarterback, would people be still, still feel the same way about Tyreek Hill? Like probably not. But when you look at Tyreek Hill versus, or when you look at Bridgewater versus Tua, it's like, what is what was Teddy Bridgewater really good at? He was really accurate too. Right. How did that work in the Denver offense last year? It was we're, horrible. We're great. It was just it was just like a friggin' nightmare. I mean, it was good for the running backs. It was good for the guys that are catching passes. It was good for Tim Patrick. Like it's like. So, yes, is Tyreek Hill going to have some games that look maybe look silly because they paid him so much money? Yeah, he's going to get fed targets in some way, shape, or form. But I think that the offense is going to be held back. I think it's going to be more run-heavy under Mike McDaniel. So they're not going to throw the ball as much. I mean, the Chiefs' offense throws a ton. I don't right. think that's going to be the case in Miami. And you also have an ascending talent in Jalen Waddle. I mean, Jalen Waddle broke the rookie receptions record. And people are like, oh, like, whatever, like, Tyreek Hill, like, he's better. It's like, okay, well, Tyreek Hill's 29 coming off right. a year where his yards after the catch per reception was a career low. I mean, Waddle has already shown us through college and the NFL that he can produce with Tua. And people are just willing to overinvest in someone that's been there, done that. You're drafting last year's production. I'm interested in drafting 2022's production, which I think, at worst, Waddle and Tyreek Hill are probably pretty similar. It'll be pretty close. And if that's the case, I'm going to take the guy that's going way later in drafts and Jalen Waddle, and just fade a overpriced guy like Tyreek Hill, who, frankly, could be past his prime. And looking at the efficiency numbers from last year shows that there is some decline. And what perfect time for a decline when a guy changes quarterbacks and it's a, and it's a significant downgrade. That's interesting. That's so I didn't want to think about it like that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that's that's an interesting take. I, I agree. I think Waddle is probably the better take there. Um, and yeah, that's just either way. I, the the fact that he keeps talking about Tua, right. I, I agree. I agree. Like, he's, he's being <laughs> a good teammate. And like, what are you gonna say? Like, no, Tua fucking yeah. sucks. Like, yeah, like, yeah, that's he's he's gonna be good. He's trying to be good. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree. Like, I know Tua is accurate enough, and he will and Tiger will still get yards. But I don't think it's gonna be the same. Uh, as it was in Kansas City. Uh, two more questions for you. Is is this the year that Zeke falls out of being a running back one or two? If he's yeah. fully healthy. Yeah, I think that this is probably the last year we're going to see Zeke where he's being kind of ranked up, you know, as a, you know, a top running back still. And it sucks because, you know, I like Zeke a lot last year and I, I was trying to write off 2020, you know, Dak got hurt, you know, his splits with Dak were really good. And then he obviously he got banged up towards the end of the year. And so I, I, I was on him last year and I mean, look, he finished as RB six last year overall. So you're like, you look at that, you're like, okay, like nice. That's a win. But then you look at points per game is like RB 16. You're like, Gross. And because I had him on a bunch of teams, I remember rostering him and he wasn't moving the needle. Like he was just an RB2, like pretty standard production, like nothing really special. And that's what I think you're just going to keep getting from him. But it's going to be, he's a depreciating asset at this point. You know, Tony Pollard continues to look amazing every time he touches the football. They're going to involve him more. The touches are starting to come down from Zeke. You know, this contract thing, like the Cowboys know they have to just use Zeke, but. You know, if they start losing games and Pollard continues to outproduce Ezekiel Elliott, they're going to be like, look, we have to make the playoffs. Like Mike McCarthy 
That dude, if they they don't win a playoff game, that guy is getting fired. And Sean Payton's oh, coming yeah. in next. Sean Payton's coming in next year to be the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys head coach. So Mike McCarthy is not afraid to, you know, unleash other running backs. It took him forever to friggin' unleash Aaron Jones. And I mean, he may have to just release Tony Pollard if he wants a chance to t- save his job. So Zeke is a guy that I'm just not touching. I think he's like honestly like a landmine running back because it's one of those things where. You invest enough in him, and he's good enough where you're not going to look for alternatives, but right. not bad enough where you can actually make a move, and not really good enough where he is going to actually help your team. Like I think he's an average replacement in terms of fantasy production from RB2s or guys you can get off the waiver wire. I think it's a good litmus test to think about if you know X running back is now the starter in a backfield. You know, are you ranking him in front of Zeke or behind Zeke? And it's like, oh, wow, like in most in most cases, like you're going to rank him in front of Zeke. So why did you draft Zeke in the first place? If there are going to be guys on the waiver wire, you're going to start out, start in front of him. So like that's the biggest thing with me is kind of thinking ahead and, and thinking about owning him from a roster construction standpoint. And it's like, I don't like it, especially with where he goes in drafts. A lot of wide receivers go where he's being drafted. And I want to take my shots on that because I want to find this year's Cooper Cup. Like, I'm not right. trying to find some safe running back that, yeah, like, he'll probably meet his ADP, but he's not going to be a top five running back. He's not going to be a difference maker. And in the middle rounds, like, that's what I want to get are these difference makers like a Cooper Cup. And I'm willing to take more shots on it with receivers and running backs because the traditionally, the running backs that have gone in that range have just really failed to live up to expectations. And the reason Zeke is going where he's going is because of past production. It's just like it's slowly dwindling, and I would just would be so shocked if he was a, a top five running back this year. It just it just doesn't I don't see it in his range of outcomes unless he scores a boatload of touchdowns. But you know that's the argument for a lot of these running backs that are good offenses. Oh, well, if he scores a bunch of touchdowns, like well, that was the argument last year, and he wasn't a right. top five running back. So I've got concerns, and I just yeah I can't touch Zeke this year. It, like that. The, the fourth to sixth round for me, I don't know if this is for everybody where I just suck at drafting. It could be I just suck at drafting. Uh, has always been just a fucking disaster for me. Like, the first three rounds, you know, that's pretty easy. Like, you'll get that right. Uh, no, Grant, as long as no one gets injured. Four through six has been it's a disaster. Is that because, like, that's where a lot of fantasy experts have kind of put their safe guys? Like, oh, this is, you know, it'll probably be fine enough to put in the fourth or fifth or sixth round. Uh, and then a lot of those safe guys end up being bus because the guys below them that have the higher upside uh end up just completely outpacing them and and make those guys irrelevant well i think a lot of us to do is you know being real with yourself and asking yourself the question so if this running back was set up really well why why is he going this late you know what i mean Mm -hmm. you know if you're a good running back in a good situation with a good workload you're going in the first two rounds like no matter what so the fact that zeke's now falling out of that it's like okay what are the questions well it's like there are a ton of question marks with Zeke. There are a ton of flaws about his profile. And that's why he's not, you know, a first round running back anymore because there are legitimate concerns about him. And you don't see guys, you you see in that fashion, you see them go in rounds one and two, and then they fall into rounds three and four, and then they fall off a cliff. It doesn't go in the reverse order. The only time it goes in the reverse order is with the young running backs right. who aren't in the first and second round yet because of them being unknown. You know, Zeke is a known commodity, but I'm taking Brees Hall. I'm taking Travis Etienne over Zeke because, yes, are they going in a similar draft range? Yeah. Are they harder to project than Zeke? Yes. 
they have their range of outcomes is much different. And do they have lower floors than Zeke? Probably. But they also have much higher ceilings than Zeke does. You know, Brees Hall could be a three-down running back as a rookie and get 400 touches. Like, Probably. that's not going to happen with Zeke. That's not going to happen. Where Travis Etienne, you know, he could go out and catch 70, 80 passes, you know, from Trevor Lawrence. Is he going to do that now? So I'm looking at taking guys that when we're talking about next year, I think it's a good kind of mental test too. Is like, ask yourself, okay, drafting in 2023, where are we drafting Zeke? Do you think he's going to be in the first round, second round? Hell no. So what does his season then entail if he's not going to move up? He's just going to move down. So right. why, why are we excited about this player that we're not going to be excited about him next year? So why are we excited about him now? Whereas Brees Hall, ETN, it's really easy to picture a scenario where we're talking about them next year as first and second round picks. So that's kind of the way I see it, just kind of from a draft perspective. And Zeke, just like like all the things I'm trying to avoid, Zeke just Zeke is kind of just like the prototypical, like, dude, it reminds me a lot of uh, when Gurley was in Atlanta. And it's okay. like, he was like, had the injury thing, like, and he, he looked really good on paper. I was like, dude, this guy could score so many touchdowns. And like for the first half of the year, he did. He scored like 10 touchdowns. But then he just totally cratered. It was useless and basically it was on top of every single sell high article. And when Zeke goes out and scores like three touchdowns in week one, you know who's going to be number one in my sell high articles? It's going to be Ezekiel Elliott. And he's going to be on the friggin' list every single week until he friggin' craters. So, um, yeah, that, that well, Zeke, yeah. As someone who has Zeke in a dynasty league, I will be looking out for that. Well, well, the that thing is, sell high article. The, well, the thing is, was it's just like at this point, you're just kind of going down with the ship because you're you're well, not going to get anything fair for him. So I'm like, just just hold him and just play him and just and just go down with the ship. I do point. also have Tony Pollard, so I'm I'm okay, I'm, so I'm, I'm ready for the change. Yeah. Okay. So I, I I got it. I'm good. <laughs> You have you have a life raft. You have a, a raft. You have a life jacket. You're good to go. I also took Brees Hall, so I, I should be okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, last one for you. Um, so I'm always trying to to find the perfect fantasy setup because there's so many different types now, right? With best ball, with PPR, half PPR, two quarterbacks, everything. If you were creating a league from scratch, what are your perfect like requirements or setup for for your league. Yeah, so I would definitely start with doing two quarterbacks or a super flex league. I think really? that's a better way to play. I think it just makes quarterbacks more important because if you're playing in a normal QB or one quarterback league with 12 teams, most people are smart enough to know that you don't have to draft two quarterbacks. So already, you know, the player pool of QB is like 12 guys. And if you wait till to pick a quarterback, you're getting the 12th best guy. You're still getting a really good player. It's like right. it's the, the position becomes so diluted that it doesn't even matter because everybody has a good quarterback. So it's like, what's the point of this? And then everyone has access to the waiver wire, so it's not as good. There's not as much strategy. So just adding that second quarterback element, it just makes quarterbacks so much more important. So I, I definitely am in the camp. It also adds in a layer of, do I take a quarterback here or do I take Jonathan Taylor? Or do I take Christian McCaffrey? Like Just adding in more strategy and giving people, the people that study the game, fantasy specifically not even just like football but understanding tendencies of players and looking at quarterback scoring versus running backs receivers i think is a definite layer of a game that i would want to have so i would have a super flex i would definitely want two running backs three wide receivers a normal flex to start as well alongside the super flex so just starting more players I, i'm always in the camp of starting more players 
um, either that or making it best ball scoring where and really the, and the way to counteract that is to just add more scoring. Cause it, it, the thing that's annoying about not even being able to start guys, it's like, if you have a really loaded roster, like why should you be punished for having so many good players that you can't all start? And right. then you're ultimately going to start the wrong one, even though they, you think that they're all good options, but you can't start them all because of the roster construct, the roster limits. So either make it best ball where the, you know, the highest scoring roster is automatically generated. It makes things a lot easier, you know, during off season man or during in season management, or just make it so you can start like 11 guys so that you are still getting an element of like making start sit decisions every week, but you're also getting advantage of like, I'm a good manager. Like I should benefit from playing the waiver wire and adding all these guys. Like it sucks when you can't play them. Like, this is yeah. a fun game. We want to play more guys and it should give you an advantage. If you are a better drafter, better manager, because you are now playing my top 11 guys versus your top 11 guys. Like there's less variance involved when you have more players in the player pool that are actually counting points, as opposed to if I'm only playing six guys, I'm playing your top six guys. Like there's a chance that there's more variance than involved. Whereas 11, there's really going to be a better chance that the better manager and the better team actually ends up winning. You know, if one guy goes off for you, one guy busts for me, that's going to be felt much more in a six V six versus an 11 V 11. So either making it best ball. So it's automatic or just adding in more starting spots, I think is really um, the best way to play um, fantasy football. So those are the things that I kind of look for, um, you know, from personal experience. I mean, like, I just, especially on the start sit thing, it's like I, I just, I always find like it's like I have a loaded, a loaded team, and it's like right. I, I can't play everyone. This sucks. Like, and I just feel like that's so, like we should just easily be able to change that. It's like play as many guys as you want. Like start twelve guys, start thirteen guys. It, it makes it more fun too, because it's like you got to dive into the weeds a little bit and play some, like all the sleepers we talk about. It's like, you know, one of the things that always is frustrating too is when you pick up guys off the waiver wire and then you can't start them. Because you already have like a starting roster, and then you get right. questions about, oh, do I start this waiver wire guy? And it's so much easier to be like, oh, well, can't, you can't start both. Like that, those are the questions I hate. The start sits where both are really good options, and I'm like, Ugh, like you could really go with either. Like I like both of them, but then obviously one of them gets hurt, the guy that I talk about, and then the guy that you know they don't play is the one that goes off. When in my mind, it's I thought that they were both really strong options, and I think that adding in more starting positions definitely adds in a better element. And I guess the last thing I will mention, um, maybe I wouldn't make this a requirement, but IDP, um, I would go away from DSTs, like team defenses, and go to actually IDP. And it maybe sounds a little bit more difficult than people would give credit for, but I mean, it's really not that hard. Like it's, it's nice to give the defensive player some credit. And honestly, there was a game, I think it was Jeremy Chin's rookie year, and, you know, I was co-managing a league or a team with one of my friends, and it was one of these IDP leagues where you had to start, you know, one, one defensive back, one defensive tackle, and one linebacker. And Jeremy Chin was our defensive back. And the dude had, like, a monster game. He was, like, he had safety. He had, like, he had a pick six. And, like, you're running through the – like, you're watching red zone because, obviously, you're, you're watching your offensive players. But then I see right. Jeremy Chin in the end zone. I'm like, oh, my God, that's my guy. And then I look, and he literally won us the week that week. So it's like I, every time I see Jeremy Chin, I'm like, that's my guy. Like, so it helps, you know, it helps build a bond with some of these defensive players that, you know, obviously kind of get shafted in, in right. the age of fantasy football. 
even though there, you know, IDP leagues do exist. So I think it's another interesting kind of quirk to put in um, and get rid of just team DSTs. I, I like the, you know, individual players. And if you just start with one, um, I think it makes things pretty simple. Oh, yeah. I, I, we The few leagues I'm in, we've moved away from DSTs yeah. uh, completely. We tried IDP, but we only did one IDP. And then this wasn't, this wasn't enough because, like, there were just too many guys that were good. And it's like, all right, this is just, no, it, it wasn't good enough. I, I agree. It had to be somewhere like, you know, three different guys at three different positions to really make it uh, interesting. Uh, best ball is something I'm falling in love with in my older age. How, how old are you, Andrew? I, I, I'm 28. Like 28? Okay, yeah. So you're, you're right in that, in that wheelhouse of where, where I was when I started to start losing my Sundays. Um, where you know, you're going to weddings all the fucking time, yeah, <laughs> and and you know, and because and that's the worst. Like, listen, weddings are great, uh, and I'm very lucky to have like be like a part of a group of friends that uh, we were all like kind of like, in each other's those weddings. But if you're in somebody's wedding uh, and it's a Sunday, you can't check your lineup at one o'clock. Like you're 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 in the church, right, or you're in the synagogue, or you're or you're or you're for the fucking courthouse, whatever it is. But like the, I have had multiple times now, someone gets scratched while i'm in a wedding and i look at it at the cocktail hour and go fuck and like, and like, you can do about that like best ball to me has been is really where i i, I love it because i think anything you can do to shrink the chance of the game right because that's always going to happen there's always going to be some level of chance in in football and fantasy football but uh i'm, I'm with you if you're a good manager, if you're a good drafter, if you're a good player, you shouldn't get shafted by these ridiculous rules. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So I'm with you. I'm going to cut this and I'm going to send it to my league and be like, we're going fucking best ball this year. <laughs> so yeah. I fucking said. Well, I think, I think too, it's like, you know, you just ask a simple question, like ask people around. And I, I think that a lot of the newer best ball platforms have really hit that nail with this where what's more fun? Drafting? Drafting a bunch of teams or managing teams in season like i i i gotta tell you like i'm not like amped up to like go through 10 waiver wires every tuesday night whereas when people want to draft with me in the summer like think about it like how many times you have you have to keep you have to restrain yourself from joining more drafts whereas oh, yeah. I, i'm like god please i would do anything to not have to go through a tuesday another tuesday night waiver run where i'm trying to like submit my blind bids like this 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 and this all right next team all right next team oh there's news about this player okay i gotta go back and like adjust the bids again and then you wake up the next day and you're like all right who did i get who did i not get who got dropped and and there there's some fun to that and there are a bit there are people that like that type of in roster management but is it better than drafting the actual team no like no way like so the draft is an event yes the draft is an event so yeah See, that's that's the problem. When I was younger and I was doing that, and I was doing fantasy, I would do so many leagues. Like this drafting is fun, and then we would get to week one, and be like, "Fuck, what I do this?" <laughs> there are so many people. Like I would forget it's my on my half my teams. I'm like, "Oh yes, oh yeah, oh, my guy." Like which which league is this in? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I had this running back. Uh, so I'm I'm with you. Like uh, yeah, the drafting is is the most fun, and like yeah, like adding a dude to your to your roster occasionally, like it's like a cool little thing. Like oh, this can really help. But yeah. Doing like the, you know, the waiver wire stuff, like especially later on, it's like, yeah, it's, a is, it's, it's a slog. It's a slog. Like yeah. you don't, you don't have to sugarcoat it. It's something yeah, it that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because uh, no, if you if you're doing waiver wire stuff that late, like also there's a good chance that your team is injured or you're fucked up or like it's just or or you have a serious problem like maybe a few of us where we're we're just fucking <laughs> going on waiver wire. Hold up, honey, I gotta check the waiver wire real quick. Uh, oh, yeah. But 
Listen, lock myself in my room for two hours on Tuesday nights. Like, oh, where, where's Andrew? Oh, yeah, he's in. Yeah, he's he's not gonna be out for a while. Yeah, yeah, no, this is this is waiver wire Tuesday, honey. Go cook some <laughs> dinner. I'll be there in a little bit. <laughs> Hold the kid. I'll be I'll be there in a little bit. Uh, man, Andrew, I appreciate it. Uh, what uh, anything we could watch out for coming out from even from uh, from Fantasy Pros in the next few weeks? Not just more stuff. Uh, articles written for Fantasy Pros, doing some more videos for the YouTube channel over on Fantasy Pros, and basically just kind of like keeping up to date with our draft kit. So our draft kit launched, you know, earlier this summer, but we're gonna have new news with injuries. Obviously, you know the Julio Jones stuff. Like so, all that, all of those nuggets, player injuries, news and notes are all gonna get updated proactively. So, but now is like the time to get in to the draft kit, understand like the best strategies. You know, I have a, a perfect draft strategy that I'm going to basically updating like weekly going from here on out and just kind of laying out exactly like what you do in every single round. And it's something, it's an article I started at PFF writing two years ago and it's gotten a lot of praise. I, it's one of my articles I'm most proud of because I, I just want to make it so simple that, you know, Joe Schmo up the street. Hey, like Andrew, who do I draft this year? Like, here's a guy. Just literally follow this, and, and it's what it just makes it so much easier. Instead of like diving into all these intricacies of, of fantasy and this and that, it's like read this article. Like, that's it. That's all you got to do. Because some people like love going deep into stuff, and others are like, oh my god, the drafts tonight. Totally forgot. Like, like what am I doing? And it's like, hey, I got your back. Perfect draft strategy right here. Go Dude, get that, it. That is fantastic. That reminds me of like the guy like who's really tall who has the card like yes I know I'm tall yes I yes I can it's the air different up here use this here what am I drafting there you go just just take it there. that's fucking that's good stuff dude I appreciate you taking the time I know it's busy I kept you for a little longer than I said I was gonna keep you for so I appreciate it man all good I usually I I, I have very long winded answers so it's all good <laughs> thanks dude thanks again uh, to Brad Spielberger and Andrew Erickson for coming on. Um, Great first podcast of season two. When we come back next week, uh, we'll be talking, uh, obviously, some training camp stuff. We'll talk about some more uh, position-by-position stuff. Uh, We'll also probably talk some more fantasy. As we see these uh, position battles start to unfold, as we see maybe some of these deals start to happen, will Jimmy G be traded? Will Debo Samuel get an extension? Will Lamar Jackson uh, get an extension? Uh, so we have a lot to talk about in the coming weeks. Honestly, it's a little hard to predict what we'll be talking about because it's going to change day to day. Uh, also, we'll talk some college football. Uh, the Big Ten commissioner came out and said, we are open for business. We are taking more teams. So I'll probably talk some college next uh, next week as well. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about. Man. We are fully into the 2022 season now, and I am loving it. See you guys next week. Peace.